Thanks for joining us. Um, have you ever noticed how many times when writers in the New Testament write a letter, they always begin by identifying themselves? They always begin with their identity. Let's pray. We're going to talk about that today. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can call on you as Father and know that you hear us because of Jesus. I thank you again for your word and that you know how to speak to us exactly what we need at any given time. So, Lord, be our teacher today. Through Christ I pray. Amen. Kind of interesting. Whenever a New Testament writer opens a book, almost every time they begin by identifying themselves. They give us their identity. Let me give you uh, some examples. Bear with me. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel. Paul's identity is servant. Apostle, set apart, holy to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul's identity is called to be an apostle. One called out, one to lead the church. Paul, again, gives his identity as he opens up his second letter. 2, Timothy, 2 Corinthians 2, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 1. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Galatians. Paul, an apostle. Galatians 1, in case you were wondering. uh, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Again, Paul identifies himself as an apostle called by God. Well, what about James in the book of James? He begins by identifying himself too, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what about Peter? Peter does the same kind of thing in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect scattered through the world. Now he talks about their identity. You're the elect of God. You're scattered throughout the world, you know. But he begins with his identity. And then Jude, one. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Um, Over and over again, whenever the writers of the New Testament, so often when they're writing these letters, they begin with their identity. Now, you say, well, that's just a nice way to start their letters. Sure, it's a pleasantry. But I think more than that, I believe they begin with their identity because everything that they say at this point grows out of their identity. In Christ. If you're asking the question, why are you writing this letter? It is because of their identity in Christ. As a result of that identity, they are responsible to God and to these people to write these letters. Recent messages that we've shared, in a recent message I've shared, I've talked a bit about the power of a God-given identity. This is really important because we live in a time when people talk a lot about identity and they're wondering, you know, where does my identity come from? My career, my accomplishments, my friends, my stuff. You know, if we're not careful, people build their identity in their car, in their house, in their bank accounts. In modern times, in recent times, really in just most recent times, people start identifying themselves according to their sexuality. This, of course, is a logical error. It is something that was never done until 
um, it was encouraged by the uh, um, in, 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 by philosophers in the in the in the 19th century, but it really wasn't done until the 1970s, 1980s in the United States. Until then, sexuality was a verb. It was something you did. It was not something you were. It's not a noun. How do you find your identity? I think one of the reasons that people are so confused today, so uncertain. I think one of the reasons that people have a hard time being resilient, which is the message that this grows out of, is because people aren't clear on their God-given identity. They get their voice, their identity from some different voice. Now, Jesus, of course, sets the example on the importance of identity and the power of identity. It is the identity of Jesus that gives us so much hope and direction. It's interesting, by the way, that Jesus' identity wasn't just limited to one certain thing or two things. In the New Testament, for instance, Jesus states uh, in just the book of John, seven different identities. He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the one who can sustain life. He says in John 8, I am the light of the world. He is the one who shows the way. He's the original source of light. He's the one who created the world. He says in John 10, I am the gate of the sheepfold. Again, John 10, I am the good shepherd. So he's the gate. He's the way by which we get into God's fold. But he is also the good shepherd who cares and guides, cares for and guides his sheep. Later on, he'll say, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered death. And the reason that we can be confident that when we die, we'll be resurrected as well is because the resurrection isn't just an event. It's not just a hope. It is a person. Jesus, I am the resurrection. It's his identity you see. And what he does grows out of his identity. In John chapter 14, Jesus has that famous time where he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. In John 15, he says, I am the true vine. I am the source of eternal life. I'm the If you want to produce much fruit, be connected to me because abide in me and I'll abide in you and you will produce much fruit. I am the true vine. That's the identity of Jesus. Paul was clear on his identity. James was clear on his identity. Jesus is clear on his identity. There's resilience in that because it's a God-given identity. And that it is out of that identity that we serve. It's out of that identity that we keep going. Who are you? What is your identity? Today's challenge is to let God be the one who gives you your identity. It'll change your life. It'll change the way you see yourself. If you're the one giving your identity, which is what people are told today, nobody can tell you who you are but you. Well, if you're the one who tells you, that's not a a shifty, shallow foundation for identity. But if our identity is found in God and who God made us to be, then our identity is secure. I was thinking about that recently when I watched a testimony by Jackie Hill Perry. It's a remarkable story of how God clarified 
her identity. She believed the lie about her identity, but God was patient. She began to see herself through the eyes of God, and now she's experiencing life like she never thought before. Would you watch this testimony, please? My earliest memory about being, just having gender confusion and such is probably around first grade, first or second. I just distinctly remember wanting to be a boy, um, wanting to be the dominant role in any type of relationship. My aunt, I think I went to church with her pretty much every Sunday for the first nine-ish years of my life. Um, and I just distinctly remember things like when people would get mad at her, she was like not respond. So seeing her life and always hearing about Jesus and hearing about God, it gave me really early convictions about who he was early. I was always attracted to women. I just didn't acknowledge it because I knew it was wrong. It was just kind of this underlying temptation. 17 was probably when that became more of an attraction to me than men. I was at a homecoming dance at a, another high school and this young lady that I knew, she flirted with me. And that was the first time a woman ever flirted with me. It felt natural. That's honestly the best way I could describe it. I was like, this is what I want. Gay clubs, I, I found interest in those really quickly. Um, gay pride parades, I was having fun. But a deep soul satisfaction, I didn't have that. I used to tell my girlfriends the truth. I was like, yeah, you know this is sin, right? And they were like, why are you gay? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I know this is not um, right. To know so much about the truth about God and then to continue to live contrary to it, I was always in this constant state of conviction. I was 19, I was in my room. It was as if every thought I had was just interrupted by this really strong thought that convicted me all at the same time. And it was, it felt as if God was showing me that the sins that I loved and were in would kill me. I would die and go to hell. It's a heavy weight to know that you're a sinner and God is holy. But if that's in the Bible and that's considered true, then the other truths in the Bible about Jesus being God, Jesus being Savior, Jesus being willing to forgive those who turn from their sins, these are both true. And so I just need to believe this. It was really that simple. In my mind, I just kind of had this conversation with God. Like, I don't really want to be straight. Like, I, I, I equated salvation with just being heterosexual overnight. And so it was just like, I don't want to be straight. But then I felt like God was leading me to the fact, like, I can change your desires. I can give you the desire for a man. Surely I'm God. Um, and then I just considered everything I loved and its consequences. Like, I really weighed the cost. Yeah, I, I really saw that I was holistically sinful. This, that this 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 one area just didn't need Jesus. All all of me was messed up. Homosexuality is not the only issue plaguing a person. Sin is the issue plaguing a person. This homosexuality is just an outworking of that nature. I just saw like weed and stealing and pride and anger and arrogance and drunkenness and everything was not worth it. Like it just was overwhelmingly obvious that everything that I loved would not profit me anything but hell. You know what I'm saying? And I saw 
that God was offering me life and I knew I had no choice. I either choose God or I choose death. I told God, I said, what you're calling me to do, I cannot do on my own. I've tried before to try to live holy and it didn't work, but I know enough about you to know that you'll help me. And so I broke up with my girlfriend maybe a day or two later, because I had to. And then um, that was one of the hardest decisions I had to make. But so everything after that was easy. Um, changed my clothes a week later, got into a church in two weeks. Returning to church was cool. They were like really loving people. It was like a family. It was, it was very difficult the first two years. Like God kept me. I think he kept me because I had a community around me. I, if I did not have Christians around me to help me and pour into me and encourage me, I would have been doomed for the most part. Who God says I am defines me, though I may have temptations, though I may have struggles, though I may see a woman that's beautiful and be tempted. Like, I have temptations to curse people out, too. I have temptations to get drunk. I have temptations to watch porn. But that's just the human experience. The Christian is not void of temptation. The, the temptation got less powerful over time, just as I grew um, in knowing and loving Jesus. Um, but in that place, I didn't want a relationship with a man either. But over time, probably three or so years into my walk is when I started to get an attraction towards Preston. It was weird because it wasn't, I'm attracted to this man. It was like, I'm just attracted to him and all that he is, and he just happens to be a man. And so because I'm attracted to him, I'm more than willing to, to love his masculinity too. I think on my wedding day, it was, it was just kind of surreal. Everything in my life has always just, just been so God. You desire for this marriage and this wedding to just really show off your gospel. And I'm, I'm really grateful to be a part of that presentation. Five weeks after my honeymoon, I found out I was pregnant. I was looking at her and I thought to myself, if I chose to stay in the lifestyle I was in, I would never have her. I wouldn't have her. It wouldn't be Eden. And I, I just cried and thanked God for allowing me to experience that. The advice I would give to a parent is first and foremost to really trust God because even with my mother and my aunts or the people the Christians around me they might not they may have seen me and seen me in my condition and think oh it's hopeless but they didn't know that I was running into people on the street that were convicting me they didn't know I was seeing certain commercial commercials that were reminding me of God they didn't know that I would hear certain gospel songs randomly just be faithful um, keep loving them God changed me by showing me himself. God is aware of what's happening. It's not foreign to him. His son died for them. He loves your children more than you do. Isn't that great? Now the question becomes, how can I find my identity? There's a lot that, that can go into it in terms of the need for you to seek God and to say, God, tell me, who am I? Be specific, be clear, and you listen to what God says about how he has made you and what he's called you to be. But I would begin by the identities that the Bible already gives us. You're a child of God. You're loved by God in his family. You're a member of the body of Christ. 
In other words, God has given you a gift and you matter. To God, you matter to the body. You are forgiven. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself in your own dirt or do you see yourself clothed with Christ? So that our identity is not our sins, but our identity is his righteousness. Who are you? Find your God-given identity. Think about that. Pray about that this week and see how God can use that to give you wisdom, direction, and new life in him. Heavenly Father, give us your meaning in our lives. As we seek your face and hear your voice and answer who we are so we can become the people that you have called us, that you have identified us to be. Through Christ we pray. Amen.